Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. This weekend, and Lewis speak with Tim Seymour, co-host of the CNBC television show Fast Money, which airs every weeknight on that station at 5 p.m., Filmed at the NASDAQ market site every day, Tim, Melissa Lee, and a rotating set of traders debate the day's stock market activities and make calls on which stocks to buy, hold, or sell. Tim's been a contributor to Fast Money since 2006, and like Danny Moses, a past guest here on The Green Rush, is an active investor in cannabis companies. Tim's an all-around good guy and has some unique insights on the legal marijuana industry. And before we get into the show, I'm going to quickly tell you about the biggest industry news stories of the week, because when I'm not voicing the introduction to the Green Rush podcast, I produce a couple of podcasts of my own, one of which Marijuana Today Daily gets super nerdy about the news. Don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our interview with Tim Seymour. Right after I give you a quick rundown on the biggest story of the week in legal marijuana. That pick is a pretty easy one this week as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo just gave a speech calling for his state to legalize adult use cannabis. New York State has seen a lot of progress made in the realm of more progressive cannabis policy reform over the last year as it's made some much needed changes to its medical program, adding more qualifying conditions and expanding the ranks of people who can recommend medical marijuana. And just this summer, the State Department of Health released a report that was commissioned by the governor himself recommending that prohibition be lifted. Our friend Tom Angel over at the excellent news site Marijuana Moment has a great story on this with lots of background on Governor Cuomo's sudden conversion over to the light side of marijuana policy. Just last year, Governor Cuomo was calling marijuana a gateway drug, but the guy is obviously a smart political player and can read a poll. So here we are now. With a pro-marijuana governor and a state house about to be controlled by Democrats, it's likely that New York State is going to see some major reforms in cannabis law next year. This is going to be a very interesting story to track as New York State's legislature gets back to work next month. That's the biggest story of the week for my money. And now, for real, on to our interview with Tim Seymour. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's it's not only a real pleasure to talk with you now over the last couple of weeks as we've gotten to know each other. It's been a, a real pleasure on that front. Um, for those of you who might not be familiar with you, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you started at CNBC and how you kind of came into being the 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 go to cannabis guy there? Sure, and and great to be here, Lewis. Uh, I know you guys are doing some really interesting stuff uh, in the space and having these kinds of conversations sometimes is actually relative to uh, the the format that we have on CNBC, right? It's it's a it's fast money, so we can't really sit back and, and talk about it. And so I uh, always enjoy doing stuff like this uh, with insightful folks and plugged in folks like yourself. Um, in terms of CNBC, the you know, just the, the quick background for me on also maybe even just how I got on TV, because I think there's some parallels to what's going on in the cannabis world. Um, uh, I'm, I'm an emerging markets investor by by uh, by trade, uh, someone who spent kind of 20 years or so looking at global markets. Um, and that really started when I 
left a nice safe job on Park Avenue a few years uh, after business school at UBS and jumped two feet into Russian capital markets in 1998 on the on the eve of what was uh, a historic blow up that uh, was, you know, the, his, the, the financial historians of the world understand, you know, remember the uh, the Thai bot, which kind of fell in 97 and kind of created this round the world uh, crisis that ended in Russia in the summer of 1998 and took down long term capital, brought yep. New York Fed involved, Bill McDonough. Um, you know, you can make some arguments this, this sowed the seeds for a lot of the the liquidity that was pumped into markets to to overcome all this that you know led us into uh, uh, kind of dot com land, which I think sowed the seeds really frankly for the economic crisis of 2008 but anyway um let's let's not get lost there um i I think you know back to your question um i i started doing tv in 2001 because i i wanted to to better tell the story of a emerging market and uh you know a new asset class for a lot of traditional u.s investors where i was back in the u.s uh, building out the U.S. footprint for effectively a boutique uh, Russian Eastern European investment bank, and I wanted people to know that not only were we not KGB, but that we were actually uh, smart capital markets folks, and that we were quite quite uh, plugged in and insightful into a lot of global macro that was very relevant for Western investors, uh, U.S. investors like oil, like uh, commodities prices, like just global macro and rates and as it related to these growing economies. And of course, you know, from there on, the the whole emerging market story, the BRICS, the, you know, the, you know, oil going to $140, these were all things that everybody became obsessed with only a couple of years later. So um, I, I tried to position our firm uh, by getting on TV. And I felt like CNBC was one of a, a couple of places that I wanted to be. They were certainly the gold standard. And so I called a PR agency and I said, get me get me on TV and I'll talk about um, something that's relevant and it, it'll probably most likely be oil and I'll probably you know shh, don't tell anybody I'll tell them I'm effectively an oil analyst and uh, and we'll talk about it um, and and so I, I started doing a lot of TV and I started doing um, be, becoming a go-to guy about emerging markets because I'd lived and and operated and invested in these places and people needed someone to, to kind of break it down um, so you know cut to Cut to cannabis and and cut to uh, uh, a decade, you know, a decade or 15 years later, um, where when you know the conversation started to become more than just you know one of uh, this being a, uh, an idiosyncratic or a, a corner of uh, you know an arcane little corner of the investment world, um, I you know I felt like it was a topic that, that the network really should be taking some leadership on. Um, I myself was already quite involved in the sector. Uh, I'd been sitting on the board of a friend's company who, who uh, uh, the guys at Tikkun Alam, who are Israel's largest and kind of first medical producer, um, when they set out to build out the U.S., one of my old partners from Russia actually went to head up this company and asked me to roll up my sleeves with them. And, and you know, I didn't really... Uh, really wasn't in a position to do it full scale um, in 2015, but said, you know, put me on the advisory board and, and off we went. And I started doing a lot more cannabis. I started investing 
in a lot of the public LPs and some of the Canadian plays um, a few years ago. And and so as I started to become both uh, uh, an investor in, in this asset class uh, and becoming someone that was really looking at it from both the bottom up and a top down basis, it, it became obvious to me that this is almost the exact same story. Uh, as the emerging market story for for their investors, it was it was uh, uh, you know phase one is there's a top down legislative macro event that in some way is going to be uh, really the only investment dynamic you need to know if you're an investor about where you know there will be interest, there will be uh, rising asset prices, and 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 off we go. And um, so anyway, that was you know my view was and my view is and. I, I say this all the time. So for those people that have heard me talk, I've probably already bored you with this this metaphor and this analogy. But but this is a new asset class. This is an emerging market. This is everything I've seen, both in terms of not just the phases of development for the story, for the fundamentals, which is the top down tends to then lead the very bottom up story. But but as it relates to capital markets, as it relates to investors, as it relates to uh, the liquidity uh, bubbles and surges, and and you know frankly what what happens with with asset prices, what happens with thinly traded stocks, what happens with new IPOs, what happens with um, when institutions want to get involved, when when this goes from being just kind of a top down asset play where quote unquote dedicated investors are in it to a place where suddenly this is now. Uh, a topic where not only will a big institution like a Fidelity uh, care about it, but you'll have their consumer analyst actually rolling up his sleeves doing what he does in every other part of the world or in very sophisticated, developed uh, parts of, of their world that suddenly this has an application for. It's normalizing it. it. It absolutely is. And, and that's, you know, so that's that that's where we are. And, and as those that may remember some of the first segments we did on the network, um, they were, you know, they were kind of goofy, right? They were, <laughs> they were actually ones where we were, uh, you know, someone was running bond, wa- bond water sound effects and uh, playing, it was, hor- playing, it was you know, horrible haze and, and cheese and Chong movies. And, and, you know, look, it, while that was kind of frustrating, cause in fact, <laughs> I thought I was, did you feel like you were like screaming into the void to kind of to kind of professionalize this? And, you know, because it's really only been the last couple of months where you guys at CNBC have have taken it a little bit more seriously. Right. Well, um, I'd like to believe it's more than that, but I hear what you're saying. And and so, yeah, it, it was um, strangely enough, it, it, you know, while it was frustrating for me to to kind of be uh, feeling like I was in the middle of a circus, um, I. It was the best thing for me um, as as a, as an advocate and a thought a thought leader and a big uh, proponent of what's going on and as an investor and as someone that that works uh, with his own clients who want to invest in the space and as someone who works with you know a number of companies in the space and helps kind of advise them on you know my views of of the investment climate and the capital markets climate and. Yeah, you know, so it it gave me actually a much you know it, it's ironically. This was the best thing they could have done for me. Um, and so I'll take it. Uh, now, in the meantime, um, it shouldn't be any surprise that not just CNBC, but but any media outlet um, that is focused not only on investment trends, but focused on social trends, focused on on uh, uh, kind of big consumption trends, focused on on, you know, all of these different uh, you know, tracks of, of, of exposure. CNBC loves this story. 
um, and they love it for the right reasons. And 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 I think that that's finally, you know, where it's coming to. I, I I'm I'm going to say that I think CNBC always I'd like to believe is 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 out there uh, trying to find investment themes, um, translate that back to an audience that is both a big, sophisticated institutional audience and also, you know, a high net worth retail audience or, you know, a mom and pop audience. I mean, it's it's a it, it's got a challenge of actually having to appeal to a lot of different type of investor groups. And, and I'm, I'm biased, but I think CNBC does it does it really well. Um, I think as it relates to cannabis, I think, frankly, CNBC has evolved as the sector has evolved. And we all know, um, those of us that are talking now uh, on this blog versus the people that we, we all talk with every day in the sector, um, the, the perception change has been one of the most extraordinary things. You can argue uh, perception equals uh, reality in terms of asset prices and that the perception change has been more profound than even the move in the asset prices. Um, so when uh, when a John Boehner makes a move to to, to, to join a board of Acreage or, or Bill Weld uh, um, or all these other folks that people thought to be cut out of a particular uh, posture uh, on a lot of issues that seemed like they were social issues. Um, and by the way, yeah, this is a social issue, but is it really um, because the perception change, you know, follows the mighty dollar and perception change has really probably been born out of tax dollars, if, if you ask me. But that's that's for another part of this conversation. Um, it's a, I'm still kind of answering your question about uh, about CNBC. By the way, if I was on air right now, there'd be a producer <laughs> in my ear telling me, too windy, Tim, too windy. Shut up. Shut up. Answer the question. Well, we'll jump in with another question. So uh, there's this dichotomy between um, the U.S. And, and Canadian companies that these big, you know, enterprise level Canadian companies all seem to be trading on the U.S. exchanges like Canopy on the New York Stock Exchange, Kronos on the NASDAQ. Um, and U.S. companies are all regulated to the to the CSE um, and, and the U.S. over the counter markets. Um, you know, as someone who speaks to the retail and institutional investors, how are you explaining what's going on and that and where should investors get their trustworthy news? Obviously, CNBC. But, you know, are there other sources that, that you use that, you know, because I don't know as a retail investor, how, how can I have access to these companies trading on the CSE? I don't always have access. So, you know, you're kind of reporting on things that aren't actionable for a large portion of your audience, right? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting into not only, um, you know, what's my dashboard? What might I suggest to investors, and, and for how they should also, you know, maybe follow some of these, uh, some of these screens or, or models or, or whatever. But the, you know, the first part of your question was really, you know, how do you explain, you know, really what what's going on with the Canadian companies trading in the U.S. and meanwhile the, the U.S. companies, you know, like Carol Leaf, who just came to market, um, is doing full disclosure. Canada. Our client. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, my guess is is you know you all are extremely well versed in in just you know the the reality of the regulatory restrictions is is really let's be clear this is a major part of what what is going on here um and and so uh you can be sure that anyone who is a u.s company who is uh making the assumption that you know and and living this every day. We are more compliant than the next guy for in the cannabis uh, industry because because we have to be. And so um, there's there's really, you know, there's there's a couple folks that that maybe have been a, a little bit more aggressive about uh, you know, risking uh, some kind of a federal backlash. Um, but but the reality is that 
um, U.S. companies, you know, on a federal level are, are, are really, you know, for now are, are going to have a tough time doing the full-blown U.S. listing. Um, and the best thing that can happen is that they list in Canada in as senior of a listing and as liquid and transparent and obviously, you know, fundamentally sound of a listing, well-priced. Um, and then, you know, U.S. investors can be investing in Canada and their online accounts. Or if they're an institution, it's no big deal. They don't, they're indifferent. Um, but that actually a lot of these stocks are trading now in the in the in the pink sheets with uh, pretty pretty decent volume and and so um, pink sheet you know historically uh, might have implied you know, something extremely dodgy going on and I think in the case of a lot of the uh, you know the the Toronto listed stocks that then need to trade over the counter here uh, I don't you know I think I would caution to say that there's in the, like there aren't any industry at any time, especially in any bubble period, there's there's garbage that's trading out there. But but you know big companies that have to trade in the pink sheets here um, are not necessarily something that should be red flags for investors. But you know how do people get their news? How, how should they follow the market? Um, I think there's you know the good news is that there's uh, there's a handful of, of really high quality uh, analysts out there that have built sites that are doing. Uh, real in-depth work on some level it, it's happened faster and the proliferation of, of information is, is greater than I've you know I've even seen pop up around emerging markets and and the cool thing about this is um, there's such a great opportunity for smart entrepreneurial plugged in uh, people in the sector and in the industry who have been involved in the industry for a long time and there's some opportunistic people that are popping up too as 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 they would and probably should um, but you know the good news here is that cannabis is not institutionally covered it's just not it's not institutionally covered on a on a traditional wall street um, you know background it, it is on a bay street uh, background so salute to our, our canadian friends but <laughs> Don't uh, you know, yeah. the The reality is that there's only a couple uh, houses on Wall Street that have that have paid much attention, um, or have been willing to to publicly be out there. Um, and we know who they are. Cowan's done a great job. Obviously, that they're the first firm that should come to mind for anybody. Um, but you know, I, I think it's a lot of this is is then just getting into um, kind of how people should be evaluating and assessing stocks. And, and companies, and you know, we can talk more, more about that. But I think, you know, ultimately, what's going on U.S. versus Canada, um, the good and the bad news is that you know, the the Canadian companies, you know, largely came first, um, or listed first, or had capital markets access first, and and that's created uh, this you know, huge, huge kind of valuation spread between Canada and the rest of the world, and and obviously Canada versus U.S. So um, Canadian LPs. Uh, are still significantly more expensive than U.S. companies. They just are, and uh, um, maybe that's good for them because they now have they now have the stock that they can go out and buy other companies with, and and arguably do you know accretive M&A deals because they're going to buy somebody who's cheaper than they are. Um, ah. But it's tough to justify a lot of that. I, I, I just wanted to say, I think you're right. CNBC of all of the broadcast networks, whether they be um, like the, the evening news or MSNBC or Fox or Fox business, none of them have, have taken the, the serious look that you guys have. And CNBC has taken the most serious look at cannabis of any um, broadcast network. And I want to give you a lot of credit for that because you've been the one who's been helping push that forward. Um, but I have a, I have a, another question that comes, 
kind of relates to this, which is you were recently appointed to the advisory board of the Green Organic Dutchman. Um, and, you know, you invest in cannabis companies and now you you cover cannabis companies uh, as a journalist. How do you um, how do you balance what could be seen as a potential conflict of interest? Yeah, it's it's all about disclosure. Disclosure, transparency, and common sense. Uh, it's no conflict at all if it's disclosed and people are able to, to, to do their own work on the companies and decide uh, whether they, they believe you or not. Um, if I'm up there as a, as a, you know, a shrill for a company that, that uh, I have a relationship with, either as an investor it's no different than if I own a stock and I'm talking about it. If I own, you know, if I own GM and I'm talking about it on TV, um, there needs to be a disclosure, and then there needs to be, uh, you know, hopefully a sensible approach to that by me, which is, and this common sense, by the way, is is all about what do I think is, you know, the best way to 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 communicate my interest in a company without sounding like a shrill and and um unless someone wants to sound like that so um you know i'm i'm as a as a person in the financial media uh i i'm certainly you know very very interested most interested more interested than anybody even than cnbc uh in my own reputation and and you know how people perceive me uh, because i've got a business that's outside of that um and therefore um it should be obvious if i'm uh, if I own a company uh, and if I do advisory work for a company um, that I am a believer in what they do in some way. And unfortunately, by the way, investors um, uh, who are following and just um, literally, yeah, kind of trying to trail after what people say and do, I think they're always going to be a step behind. No one's ever going to know exactly what I did five seconds before. Um, disclosures aren't necessarily telling you. Um, so they can't they can't front run you, right? That That's actually kind of funny because – you're always thinking ahead and on fast money, you know, a large part of what you guys do is you pick stocks, right? You just mentioned GM and I saw you talking about them a couple of days ago. Um, and just, we're recording this on, um, 11 um, how do you guys go about picking the stocks or what companies you're going to discuss on the show? Cause you can't have all those charts generated, uh, you know, real time. They have to have been done ahead of time. So do you talk about, we're going to talk about these five companies and go into depth or, or how, just, can you take us into the, how the sausage is made a little bit? Yeah, here's 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 sausage 101. Um, first of all, in terms of production and what they can do um, almost instantly, is I can bring up a name and they can have a chart. So it, it's not staged. It's it's totally spontaneous. And and uh, by the way, they know what I own and what I don't own. So they can also then quote you know underneath or at the end of that block or somewhere I can say Tim Seymour owns X. But um, Look, the way the way financial TV goes, uh, at least the one I know, is is we're we're asked to opine on market dynamics, companies, both from you know a quote unquote analyst perspective, a market participants perspective. Um, so kind of weaving the whole mosaic of obviously markets trade on market dynamics, uh, stocks trade on market dynamics, um, and and stock fundamentals. So um, we'll do a call uh, during the day and we'll say, hey, you know, the team will get together and we'll be asked, what do you guys think is important today? And and I'll say, I think these five things uh, are the most important things to me. 
And someone else may have five different things. Someone may have a couple of the same crossover things. Um, and that's usually what then is blended through uh, at five o'clock on Fast Money. And um, there are days where it's going to be really obvious what we're going to talk about because when when Apple's reporting like they did yesterday, November first, uh, after the bell, it's pretty 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 sure that that's going to be a major topic, and it could either be um, most of the topic um, or it can be at least you know something that's very important. And um, and so you know back to back to cannabis. Look, there's been times, especially in the early parts of of this the story that it's been just because it's, it's new, it's hot. Um, and I think, I think it's been a bigger story on a relative basis than it should be. And, and that's the same thing that happened with crypto. It's the same thing that happened with Russia in, in 2002. So, um, that shouldn't be a surprise. And I think it's going to find it's, it's rightful place, um, in the broader financial media for being, you know, how much it really is. So <laughs> I have two questions, two follow-ups there. Are you, when do you get to, to the CNBC offices? Are you working out of their offices or you show up like an hour before and that's when the planning meeting is done or physically walk us through what your day's like? Um, yeah, I am not an employee of CNBC. Um, and uh, again, love CNBC. I've now been there for 15 years, so it's pretty clear it's working for everybody. But um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm managing money by day and my own office and uh and fight and fighting crime by night <laughs> of course of course yeah little little all can you just say i'm batman no well Tim, I'm, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding <laughs> no i'm definitely not going to say that in fact there's some really awful urban legend kind of stuff related to batman i'm going to stay away from <gasps> but um because this really? is a family show okay um <laughs> but this is I not am, a family uh, show oh, oh okay well then um lewis why don't you really tell Tell us what Batman means to you. Um, so, I think the uh, you know the, the the main kind of the, the the way it works is I'm at my office all day. We do a production call in the middle of the day, and uh, markets largely are the same or very different by the end of the day. So, stuff we may have talked about at twelve thirty may be not totally what we're going to talk about right. at five o'clock. Um, and we can have guests that are going to be on that. You know, unfortunately, and this happens all the time, we can have a company set to come on air and you got a CEO who's made time out of his busy schedule to be on our show. And then we have to preempt them because there's just stuff that's frankly a lot more important than they are. We know that all too well. Yeah, literally as <laughs> PR people, it never happened once ever. Oh my God. So can, can we talk about how cannabis investing for a second? You know, it's such a volatile industry. You know, it is, It is like you said, it, it's somewhat in, similar to crypto or to the oil markets or to any unbelievable, you know, any industry that has these ups and downs. Do you use any different tools to analyze investment vehicles than you would for, say, General Motors or, or any, you know, like more staid industry? Yes, is the answer. Uh, I, I think based upon the sophistication of the companies, their filings, their balance sheets, uh, their financial history, um, their, their, their cash flow analysis. Uh, I think it's, it, you know, it's, it's a similar toolbox, but it's in, it, it's, it's weighted differently. So 
Um, I do think that this is very akin to investing in emerging markets. Um, so what's, you know, and what I mean by that is often when I've been investing in emerging markets in whether it was 2003 in Brazil or whether it was 2001 in Russia or, you know, 2012 in Vietnam, it, you, you are looking at companies that, especially if they are homegrown local companies, they are smaller. Uh, they have management teams that are less experienced. They may or may not have three years of, of IAS or U.S. GAAP financials. They may or may not have uh, any profit. They, they, may, they may be a company that spent a lot of time in a growth phase and have never made any money. Now, by the way, there's a lot of big companies out there um, in, uh, you know, in the markets that we talk about every night. You know, hello, Tesla. Um, but, you know, I, I think I can't believe I've said something somewhat derogatory about Tesla. You know what? Have you ever met Danny Moses? Because if you and he were together, I think you would you would you could not have two people who were more like short on this company in the entire world. <laughs> anyway, so here's what I'd say. I'd say when assessing um, management, when assessing uh, cannabis investments, um, first and foremost, uh, you have to look at management team, what they say versus what they do. Um, are they experienced? Have they, you know, have they grown up in the industry? Are they a lateral player from another industry? Um, you know, what is their ability uh, to, to navigate the regulatory environment and the compliance environment? But, but you know, most importantly, really, you know, how visionary are they? How, how competent are they as, as operators? Um, and, and, and then you get into, hey, what's the business model here? What's, what's, the, what's the, the subsector within the cannabis sector? Are they, are they you know, a pure cultivator? Are they a retail play? Are they uh, a processing play? Are they a technology play? Are they an ancillary services play? Are they a infrastructure play? Are they, um, you know, it, this is where, by the way, it's fascinating because, you know, you, you, you immediately drop into very sophisticated analysis that's no different than looking at any other uh, consumption story or any other company that could actually be growing up in uh, in a U.S. marketplace, but but what you know, based upon that, what's their business model? What's their profit? What's their profitability uh, kind of context? And 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 how scalable are they? Uh, these are all things that are critical to understanding. And obviously, there's there's just this whole uh, relevancy dynamic that's probably the most interesting one right now or has been if you look back over the last 18 months of investing in, in cannabis. Um, I, I won't give my views on this now. Everybody's got their own views uh, as it relates to you know what's the most interesting part of, of, of the investment you know, horizon in, in cannabis. But in other words, do I want to be investing in cultivators, uh, asset heavy, asset light, um, yeah, retailers in a 280E uh, regulatory environment where their margins are, are just awful, awful. Um, and, and so, I mean, th these are the things that investors need to assess and they need to have their own view of who's tomorrow's trade, uh, and who was yesterday's trade. Um, cash rich and the great balance sheet with no plan is, is no way to invest uh, as an investor into that company. So it may appear like someone's got a great balance sheet, uh, but they really have no clue. Um, you know, we've seen capital 
eradicated and lost and eviscerated it many other times in the world of financial bubbles and histories and look look no further than japan um to see companies that had and you know capital was free there was no price on it and, and that that led to some really awful decisions so um it's never been more important for investors to assess corporate governance risks um in terms of not only you know the quality and the transparency of management what they say versus what they do but but then um really understanding the, the the dynamics as it relates to their capital structures um the probably one of the biggest ways uh you've added some value or stayed out of some 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 major pitfalls in cannabis investing in the last years is just understanding what the lockup periods are for for companies with company management and restricted stock for you know a number of these companies that have gone public um, there's a lot of cross ownership structures. Some companies own pieces of other companies. That either means that they have options to, to, to buy more, and when those options expire and they don't buy, they don't buy. Um, sometimes that leads to a major sell-off. Sometimes there's there's you know convert, uh, you know capitals raised through convertible uh, bond structures, which often puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the equities. So um, you know, an eight billion dollar ask- company with a huge balance, with a huge ca- market cap, doesn't mean that these guys have any cash. So you have to be really careful. So which companies do you like? Like here, here, let's be fast company for a spe- for or fast company, fast fast money for a, spe- a second. You know, we know you like T God, but who else do you like in this space? Who are the ones that you're looking at? Going, yeah, they're they're going to be the winners. Well, um, you know, I I think there's. There's, there's a couple approaches I have to this. There, there are the guys that I think are doing the guys and girls that I think are doing very interesting stuff in, in uh, a pure integrated model. And and to me, uh, you know, if I look at the U.S. market, there's there's obviously there's 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 GTI, uh, there's Acreage, there's Cureleaf. Um, you know, there's the guys that I think have big established businesses uh, that have a a, a leadership advantage. Uh, and and you know frankly have really talented people at the helm that that, that I think are going to continue to consolidate. Um, Harvest is about to go public. I think they, they too have have really built a tremendous business. Um, by the way, with without a huge amount of of capital raised in their early days to show that they can actually do it uh, and and be cash flow positive. So. You know, th- those are names of companies that I think are undisputedly uh, been successful, and I think are well positioned for success. Um, and 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 you know, I think uh, right now the 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 companies that are, are figuring out where they are going to either have an advantage on their processing, where they're avoiding being asset heavy, um, where they're yeah, where they're partnering with high technology, uh, either in the form of again, this is gets into really traditional stuff where you know food processing is is a incredibly sophisticated, technologically you know advanced part of the the investment world in 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 traditional commodities and in traditional food stuff. I mean, so you know, th- those are the companies that. I care the most about right now, and I'd rather I'd rather not name names. You can see my disclosures on CNBC, but it gets back to the same thing. I, I really, you know, I I'm I'm reluctant to be pounding the table on anybody, um, and and frankly, you know, you talk about the guys at, at the Green Organic Dutchman. The, you know, the reason why I 
decided to 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 work with them and and you know what does that mean it really means that um i act in in a capacity where uh i'm an investor uh, i can you know, I, whether I've been an advisor for a company or whether I've been an owner of a company as an investor over the years, I always like to have a good relationship with management, which says, hey, I think what you're doing here is great. Hey, what I think you, what you're doing here is, is not great. Um, uh, you, you know, your, your valuation could be improved if you did X, Y and Z. Um, my guess is this is what people want to see. So, you know, with with someone like like T-God, talented guys. Uh, I think in a really interesting space, uh, guys that are built a brand, um, guys that have a you know a, a CEO who's a, a veteran of of the the consumer products world, you know, uh, that that's you know that's the kind of a story that to me is very interesting to 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 be involved with. Um, yeah, you know, that may or may not be uh, you know first of all that let's be clear that that stock has been a pig for the last. <laughs> the last you know two months especially the last month and a lot of that is due to some of the technical things i just talked about with 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 where the shares are locked up um when you know there's there's some cross ownership stuff where there's strategic stuff going on um not necessarily an indictment on the company um some of this is really just liquidity dynamics um but but i think investors need to evaluate all of this stuff and, and i think that's never been more more important so I want to take a, a pivot to off the stock market for a second and talk. We haven't asked this question in a while, but um, you're the dad of two kids. Um, and as someone who invests in this industry and you're attending all these conferences, um, are you having active discussions with your, I don't know how old they are either, but or if it's appropriate, but are you having any discussions with your kids about cannabis and how are you kind of telling them what dad does? Right. Um, no, we're not talking about it. Not because... Um, I'm, I'm not, my, my kids are 10 and five and, um, I'm, I'm not talking to them about, you know, the course light that I'm drinking at night, you know, at the right. dinner table either. Are you so, thinking about how you will when, you know, your 10 year old yeah. turns to be, you know, 13, 14, yes. 15? Yeah. Yes, of course. And, and, and I, I fortunately feel that, um, the harder conversation is with my parents than it is with my, my kids. Um, <laughs> and, and even though, my folks are very hip. I'm one of five. Um, and, uh, anyway, you know, it's, it's an, it's a great question because it gets right to the, the, the social dynamics of what's going on out there in our country and people's understanding of, of really not only, you know, my, 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 my big argument would be anyway, that, that the cannabis is, um, the rec, the recreational story is such a small part of it for me. It's such a small part of, of where I think the investment opportunities are. And, and therefore, um, you know, at first that, that was certainly something I thought about. Um, and it was a lot more of an issue two years ago when I think, you know, public perception was at a certain place. Look, I'm someone who's in the middle of the media, uh, you know, back to CNBC. When I said I wanted to start talking about it, I went to him first and said, you know, what do you think about this? So, you know, back to the family. And did, and did was their reaction, so where can you score for me? Um, no, I think they knew where to go, you know. <laughs> yeah, TV guys, the TV producers definitely. All producers know where to go. So, Come on, come on, I, you know. Um, so we want to be, be respectful of your time, so we have one last question for you. Um, it's a segment that we call While You Were Sleeping. What's the one thing that you think 
that either the public isn't getting or guys like you in the media are missing when it comes to cannabis? Like, what's the one story you wish that was being done on CNBC or that you were reading in the journal? Well, I think that story has to be uh, why, who are the who are the forces at work that have kept cannabis um, illegal uh, and the legislative track and, and why, uh, you know, and I'm speaking of the drug companies. I'm speaking of, of the private incarceration uh, sector. I'm, I'm talking about the people. I mean, the, the most important story is probably uh, outside of the economics is probably this, the, the, the social dynamics here. And what we're not getting enough information on is 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 really, you know, big pharma versus versus cannabis um, and and all of the other people who, who whose interests are best protected by keeping cannabis um, you know, from being descheduled or federally you know, accessible. Um, I, I just think that it's it's extraordinary to think about. Uh, and, and here's the cool thing about this. Uh, I consider myself, look, I live in New York City, um, which by definition means that you have to be not only socially tolerant, but, you know, probably pretty aware and at the risk of sounding like one of these, these East or West Coast, you know, kind of elite guys. Um, Cause you know, I don't feel like we feel like that at all. But, but my point is that I always thought of myself as someone that was pretty socially aware of, of, you know, the, all of the, the 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 dynamics out there in in terms of you know demographics and and whatnot the, the reality is that what people are learning and what what even I feel like I've learned um, more in the last fifteen months and appreciated more in the last fifteen months as I've been involved in the sector are, are the social consequences um, that have been uh, inflicted upon our country and the world from cannabis being illegal um, and and I just you know I I never thought of myself as a tree hugger or a Greenpeace guy, you know, and, you know, I've been to a hundred De- Grateful Dead shows, but I didn't walk around. How many, how many post Jerry? Um, not many, you know, maybe, maybe 20, maybe 20. Have you seen them with John Mayer? Yeah, I have. And he's unbelievable. He's a breath of fresh air. So, oh my God, it's so much better, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's no, hold on a second. I'm, no, I mean so much. No, 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 not better than with Jerry, but better than they were. But when after Jerry, I mean, there was the last five or six years, it was it was not as much fun as it used to be, and he's added like this this unbelievable burst of youthful vigor. This is a perfect example of like John Mayer is just a great player, you know. And you know, in fact, if anything, you know, the things I've heard about him personally, um, probably you know, are, are not terribly redeeming. But um, <laughs> but he's a great guitar player. And, and the music is insane. So it's, it's, it's exactly kind of the, the whole thing. Like I, 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 yeah, I grew up in Westchester and I, my friends that were just hardcore deadheads and all they did was listen to the dead and you couldn't listen to the who or Led Zeppelin or the police or the cars or whoever you had to only listen to the dead. And you know, that to me is just ridiculous. Um, even though I love the music, I think as, as much as they did. Um, so, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, kind of what's going on in the sector right now. I, I think there are people that are, have grown up in it or, you know, major, major users, um, total practitioners. Um, and I think then there are people that, that are somewhere in between. And then I think there are people that just appreciate, uh, the opportunity and this, this, 
you know, transformational, generational, you know, pick, pick your hyperbole, um, but it's all happening. Um, and the cool thing about this is, again, it gets back to the, the applications for, for, uh, for the plant and, you know, where it's all going. I mean, I, I think the biggest opportunities for cannabis are really nutraceutical, um, wellness, um, you know, biopharma, um, et cetera. So I think, I think the recreational market, it's fascinating. Consumption trends are fascinating. They are changing. I think we have no idea where they're, they're going to go. Um, but, uh, you know, that's my, uh, uh, you know, long-winded way of, of kind of pointing out where I think, you know, where I've been with, you know, by the way, you want to, you know, where, where do I fit in? Um, I've been, uh, largely estranged from the plant since high school. Um, but, but, uh, I'm, you know, certainly well acquainted with it from the nutraceutical CBD dynamic and, and, and to be fully honest with you as a bit of a control freak, um, one of my big, biggest problems with, with cannabis, um, when I, you know, when I smoked in high school was that I felt totally out of control. And I think the biovariability dynamics are changing so dramatically for, for, uh, the entire, you know, the entire spectrum of people that use it, um, or their ability to control or dosage or dissemination or, you know, all of that is why you're going to have this, I don't know what the number is. We don't know what the number is, but um, of the first-time users or the people that are getting back in touch with it, um, and their experience is going to be totally different because, frankly, it's going to be totally different. Um, and I think this is where, again, you know, the uh, the very interesting consumption trends uh, skewed more towards the mass market are the most interesting. Okay, you have to go. Um, you have to actually go make the sausage. So go make the sausage. <laughs> All right. Thank you so hey, much, thank Tim. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Our thanks to Tim Seymour. You can catch him almost every day, if not every day, on CNBC. Usually appears on Fast Money. Um, or check out his company at SeymourAM.com. That's Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R-A-M.com to chat with us. Oh, as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at KCSA underscore cannabis. Drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA. Lewis loves hate mail. And don't forget to subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. One take, Shay. One take.